I'm Carlin Gay. I don't know who should be the head coach of the New York Knicks, but I know who should not be the head coach of the New York Knicks. I'm Gil McGregor, and I think that Carl Anthony Towns is hands down the best big man in the game right now. I'm Micah Adams, and the Milwaukee Bucks will win at least 25 straight games. Welcome into NBA Sound System. You heard the voices that are going to be talking to you for the next little bit. We won't put a time limit on it, but we're going to be a lot shorter than we were last time. Carlin Gay alongside Mike Adams and Gil McGregor. We're going to talk about the Knicks head coaching situation, or at least try to wrap our heads around what that is. We'll also debate who is the best big man in the NBA today. But let's start with a story that... It's kind of being swept under the rug, in my opinion. The Milwaukee Bucks, they won 60 games a year ago. They're on pace to do that as well this season. 15 straight wins as we record this right now. Uh, And they have, a, I guess, a layup by NBA standards with the uh, New Orleans Pelicans coming up next. Mikey, you said off the top that they might win at least 25 games on this streak. When you look at their schedule, why do you think that? Well, I actually, so I said 25, and then about 30 seconds after I said that, (laughs) uh, I don't take it back, but I actually want to double down. So if you look at their schedule between now and the middle of January, of their next 18 games, only four of them are against teams currently 500 or better. Those four games come in a five-game stretch. They have a Dallas, Lakers, Knicks, Pacers, and 76ers stretch wow. coming up here. Okay, If they make it through that stretch unscathed, they would be at 22 straight wins. After that, I mean, it is a who's who's of bottom dwellers in direct. <laughs> if they get to 22, I don't see any way they don't win 30. And the last time we saw 30 wins was the Lakers. Yes. Yeah, so the Lakers. 71, 72. 72 yeah, the all-time Lakers record is 33. The all-time record is 33. Right, that wins. Heat team got close. They won 27 six years ago, five, six yeah. years ago. Yeah. And that and that was that. Those Some of those games were very close. So they had some comebacks. They, they, had had some, they were the backstory against the wall a couple times. Yeah. Very close to that. But – what makes you and that Heat team was special because that Heat team had three Hall of Famers, three bona fide Hall of Famers right. on it. Great head coach. This Milwaukee Bucks team is not that, but their style of play and I, we were talking about this yesterday. Their style of play is so hard to defend against for just one game. When you get them in the playoff series, it's a different story. You have all week to figure it out. But when you're seeing it just one night out of eighty-two. It is so hard to defend. It reminds me so much of the Phoenix Suns that you know seven seconds or less style of. Offense, and I think they're a great regular season team. I said it on this podcast. I say it off this podcast. I say it on all our videos on NBA.com. I don't think the Bucks are going to win the NBA championship. I don't think they might not. I don't even think that they're going to get to the finals. They could finish seventy nine and three, and you you wouldn't. Yeah, I, I, they, they have to. They have to prove it to me by playing this style of play. I, I just don't see it. And but I will give them credit where credit's due. They're a really good regular season team. I just think that they lack closers other than Giannis when the playoffs come around. I think that's fair, and I and I think that it's a look. It's a fair criticism that we're just not going to know the answer until we get to the playoffs. Right. Like Eric Bledsoe has disappeared. Now it, it's at least two straight years in the postseason. He's never been a good postseason player. Uh, now, short sample sizes, what have you? Sure, but you know what? Like that's that's the name of the game, right? Yeah. Like the play, playoff series are in essence a small sample size season. So when you time in, time in, time in, time out, don't deliver. I don't know. There is a burden of proof for Milwaukee. I will agree with you on that. I do think that this team is a little bit different though. They're a lot deeper. They defend at a really high level. I think everyone points to, you know, it's Mike Budenholzer, it's Milwaukee, it's Giannis, it's four shooters surrounding him at all times. This team defends the hell out of the paint. Uh, you can't, it's impossible to score on them inside. Not only do they not give up any looks inside, mm-hmm. uh, they defend them better than anyone. They rank first in the NBA in, in both attempts and field goal percentage allowed in the restricted area. Uh, and then they get out and run. I, they, they force more misses than anyone. And when they force misses, they run more, harder, faster than anybody. 
they're a perfect regular season team. Before I bring Gil in there, because I want Gil to, to, to drop some knowledge on what he thinks about with Milwaukee Bucks, I want to double down. I want to dig deeper into something that you said. Because all the things that you said were is true. And they were true last year as well. They were first in points scored a year ago. They were the number one defensive rating team a season ago. They were fourth in defensive, or sorry, in offensive uh, rating a season ago. They were they were great on both ends of the ball. They got out and run. They were you know pace was up and down. They were second in pace I believe a season ago. And he won sixty games. Blitz through the first two rounds of the playoffs, losing one game, and that game was kind of a, a giveaway. It, it was you know they were off for so long after destroying Detroit. And Boston made him look silly, and then people forget that Boston beat him badly in that game one of that second round He's series. They absolutely destroyed them, and most people are saying, "Well, this can't be serious. Like this is not a team that's going to get past." And then they go ahead and destroy Boston. Then they had their first four game losing streak of the season at the wrong time. <laughs> Lose Malcolm Brogdon in the off season, uh, and and you said that this is a deeper team this season than it was a season ago. Why? I think that experience of going through last season ultimately just raises a ceiling for the Pat Connaughton's of the world. Like, Brooke Lopez is one more year under his belt there. DiVincenzo really wasn't a part of the mix late last season. He's playing well. George Hill has been amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, but Hill is flirting with the 50-40-90 season. Chris Middleton's flirting with the 50-40-90 season. And so... Look, at the end of the day, it's going to boil down to ultimately what Bledsoe and Middleton do off of Giannis. But I just, I just think that all the guys surrounding him uh, are just playing to the to the best of their abilities. And you got to give credit to the reigning coach of the year. He might win it again. Coach Bud's getting absolutely every ounce he can out of this roster. No, I agree. I, I, I kind of see what you're saying with the. Uh depth piece you look back and one thing we were talking about with this team is they're making light work of of inferior opponents well well yeah that's what good teams do and then the Clippers come into town and they made light work of them too I think that is a testament to their depth you talk about Connaughton you talk about DiVincenzo a guy who wasn't able to play in the postseason last year I think that the chip on the shoulder and I guess the hunger from that I think that'll help him and I do think that I mean they have Giannis Antetokounmpo let's let's not act like he's not the guy who's not going to take them really really far and and I think that Chris Middleton is is a, a really solid second guy especially if Giannis can kind of uh, overexert himself because I think that last year we look at the team who won the championship in, in Toronto I think a lot of what we were saying about them was that they didn't have enough and it seemed like they didn't have enough it seemed like they were built for the regular season but I think that having that year of experience and having a little bit built up kind of will help them in the postseason this year and it's something that we can't really judge until we see it I think I, I, I think I need you brought up Toronto and I would have agreed with you up until they made the Gasol trade I think they needed to make that trade or else they don't get past the Sixers and I think the Bucks are in a similar situation, is that they're really, really good, and it's not a big trade. I don't think they should go out and blow up their team or go out and get a Chris Paul. I don't think they need to go that extreme, but I do think that they need to get another player that can do something in the half court when the offense bogs down. Because right now, all those players that you mentioned that are coming off the bench, and I want to include Wesley Matthews in that because he wasn't there a year ago. He's here now, and he's a good 3 and D guy. But he's not a guy that's going to get his own shot, nor is he a guy that's going to create for others. Everything is so dependent on what Giannis does. he, He attracts so much attention, and he's going to give other guys open looks. But when he's not on the floor, when you're going up against great defenses, which you will be in the playoffs, that's going to show, and I don't think you could depend on Giannis for 48 minutes just to, to, to get you to that next level. Listen, the Raptors didn't depend on Kawhi. He, he took them over the edge, but he didn't, they didn't depend on Kawhi for 48 minutes the of Bucks every playoff game. The Bucks aren't either right now. But this is the regular season. That's it what is I'm saying. Regular, but, but, uh, so, what do you, so the, in your eyes, there's nothing that they can do. Because right now— With they, this they, team, no. They, they have been an awesome, awesome team in the non-Giannis minutes. If you took how this team plays without Giannis on the floor, they would have the fifth-best offense in the NBA, the sixth-best defense, and the third-best net rating. I understand. like A lot of that is against teams that, at the end of the day, just won't matter and won't figure into this team's championship. And also, oh, but, but also a lot of that is also in garbage time as well when, you, when they've blown out the team and you know these guys are playing against scrubs. I, yes. I can't. I don't have a counter for that because there's not. I mean, it's it's December. It's the regular season. The schedule 
it is what it is. Yeah. But they're twenty one and three against it. I won't kill them for that. They're destroying. T- I mean, we we joked about it last week that they beat the Hornets and Knicks in back to back games by forty. <laughs> yeah, it was and ridiculous. I said if they beat the Clippers by forty, that they're not going to lose the rest of the year. They were up by forty one. Yeah. yeah. Like they almost did it. They could have done it. If not for that, like garbage time works both ways too, right? It does. You know, you're right. You're so right. You, can't, you, you have can't, to create the garbage time exactly. to, but, to benefit but I, from but it. But I do want to, I want to bring it back to something you just said about mm. you want them to add a piece, uh, another playmaker that can create something in the half court. Right. I was looking at, at something earlier for an entirely other reason, but stumbled upon uh, something that I, that I think is to your point could be kind of an Achilles heel. So, you know, there's all sorts of numbers out there, right? And you can you can pretty much break down any situation based on anything that's that's recorded. If you look at Milwaukee's offense after made baskets, mm-hmm. right? So against the set defense, mm-hmm. largely half court, they rank just 13th in, in the, the NBA. NBA. Wow! Right? A lot of their offense is based off of running off of missing, uh, forcing turnovers. You know, they they put pressure on teams in ways that. It's very, it's very rare that nobody else can match, but against set defenses. Now, I don't know what that number is against, you know, isolated against good versus bad. Right. But 13th against the set defense is... It's pretty average. That's pretty average. And, you know, in the postseason, when the game slows down, when teams, they might just give up the offensive glass and, you know, have five sprint back every time, one and done, concede second chance opportunities for the sake of not letting this team out and run. I don't know. Like that to me is a cause for concern. And I think gets to what you were saying about they have a need that they, they need to address. Yeah. And that, and that it's the same thing that the Raptors had. Because it, when you look back on, on what the Raptors' Achilles Hill was, is that they depended so much on Kawhi in clutch minutes and crunch time to just get a shot off. It wasn't even. It wasn't even that they were depending on him throughout the game. It's like when the game's close, Kawhi had to play so much one on one. And granted, he was so good at it that it didn't matter. But. They had to go out and get another guy, and, and they did that in Marcus Gasol to alleviate some of that pressure throughout the game. And that, to me, is what took them over the top. They need maybe it's Kevin Love, to be honest with you. Now that I'm thinking about it, because Kevin Love is a great passer, and he's not the guy he once was in terms of scoring 20 and 10 when he was in Minnesota. But I think he's at the point in his career right now where you can trust him. And right now, Cleveland's actually running a lot of offense through him at the moment. They're running. Cleveland has Kevin Love running pick and roll with Tristan Thompson right now. Imagine him doing with that with Giannis. You know, it, it doesn't mean he's doing that five possessions every game, but give the defense something else to worry about rather than you know Giannis is going to take the ball at the top of the key and try to break you down. And you have to send a double or you get dunked on. I think having Kevin Love there, who is an excellent passer, a, a great post scorer. You lose a little bit on defense, but I think offensively is the issue. I don't think defensively is the problem. I think they're a really good defensive team. Whether or not Kevin Love will be there, they're going to be great defensively. I think offensively, when they're going up against you know, the Torontos and uh, the Phillies, who have so much length and athleticism, Kevin Love would be a great addition to that team. No, I definitely agree in that it's it's a minor piece similar to like the, the Gasol move last year. But also when you talk about the, the half-court thing, one thing I think about, especially in the postseason, and maybe that's what we saw last year, the first two teams just didn't have it, but in the Eastern Conference this year, I don't even know about Toronto at this point. I do know Philadelphia has the link to combat that, but I don't know if there's really any team right now that's equipped to make things difficult for them in the half-court to where that could even arise to be an issue. Uh that's a good point. I, I agree with that. And look, like, let's face it. So Milwaukee starts last year's postseason ten and one. Mm-hmm. Okay, they lose that game three. They're up. They're up two zero against Toronto. Hey, game three goes to double overtime. Yeah. Right. They very easily could have won that game, gone up three zero, and then that yeah. series is a wrap. Yeah. Right. Right. And then you know, they're probably going to beat a broken down Golden State team. Right. Are we having any of these conversations if? one or two possessions go a different way in that game three. Now, they didn't, right. and then they did lose four straight games. So, right. like, you can't completely let them off the hook. But I do think that there's a little bit of a revisionist history going on here where people are looking at Giannis and they're looking at Milwaukee and they're saying that, well, this team as constructed can't win. It took Kawhi Leonard delivering, like, a Michael Jordan-level two-way performance right. to beat this team. I, like, that's what it took to beat them. I agree. They are awesome. I agree. But when you lose four straight in the playoffs, 
and you had no counterpunch, that is a problem. I don't. I did, like, that's a fundamental problem. I get it's you know one possession in game three, but the other three games went exactly the same way. It was close for a period of time, and the Raptors were able to neutralize them in the half court. When the Bucks got out and ran, that's when they won those first two games, and it and it and it showed. When the Raptors decided, you know what, we're going to slow this thing down, and we just believe that we're going to execute better than you, that's a problem. If you're the best team or you want to be the best team in the league, you shouldn't be afraid of playing in the half court. I, I, like, If you're going to win a championship, it's going to come in the half court, both ends of the floor, defensively and offensively. If you can't execute on one of those ends, well, guess what? You're not hoisting Larry O'Brien. Well, I'll tell you right now, on Christmas Day, we're going to find out just how incredible this team is because on that date they play at philly and they will have been coming off of that stretch against dallas the lakers uh and the pacers the game before that you know if they take if they take care of their business they're gonna go into christmas on a 21 game win streak they could beat philly Ticket to 22. Look at the schedule. It is cream puff city (laughs) and then they'd be putting the 71 72 lakers uh on uh, on lookout, watch out. On notice, on notice. On notice. Yeah. there. And hey. sounds like sounds like the, the 2016 Warriors need to be on notice too. And real real quick, little <laughs> <laughs> little trivia Seriously. here. Uh, so the Lakers are also 21 and three. Yes. 1971-72, when the Lakers won 33 straight games, that team's that Lakers team started 21 and three. The Bucks also started 21 and three. Wow. That Bucks team also. Had a 24-year-old reigning MVP. His name is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They did. There's a lot of similarities here between uh, 2019 and 1971. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's the Bucks team that went on and and actually got it done. Yeah, they lost. They won it the year before. They lost to the Lakers uh, in the Western Conference Finals, and then the Lakers went on to win. Uh, finally, Jerry West got his title. <laughs> finally, after being what eight and one, one and eight in the uh, in the We're final. Not here to if, talk about the if our guy, if our guy Scott <laughs> Rafferty, I have to shout him out. If our guy Scott Rafferty was here, he'd be rolling his eyes talking about pre nineties basketball. All right, let's move on and talk about the big men. And this is actually a good segue because the nineties big men very identifiable. They were bruising up and down the floor. They would play six feet within the basket. They weren't standing outside jacking threes. We have a new era now. You know, Carl Towns, who's probably launching three right now uh, as we speak. He, I mean, he takes more threes than your, your average guard. It's ridiculous. Well, maybe in a good way, I mean. Uh, Joel Embiid probably takes a little bit too many threes for people's liking. Uh, Rudy Gobert, Jokic, and I know you might want to throw in Giannis Antetokounmpo in that mix. We'll also throw Anthony Davis into that mix, who's you know a hybrid four, five. Let's get rid of the five. It's can just we bigs. can we get rid of it? It's just bigs. Yeah. It's 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 bigs it's, and wings. It's bigs, wings, and ball handlers. And some of the ball handlers are wings. It's point guards. It's wings and it's bigs. That's all it is. So right. now y'all got me second guessing how I open because you know now we're throwing Anthony Davis in here and now I'm like, oh, should I said Carl Anthony Towns before <laughs> Anthony Davis? I mean, Anthony I, Davis. I mean, I mean, I just you know I was thinking centers. I said big men, but you know what? I'll, I'll just for, traditionally, for I'll, I'll, traditionally I'll though, Anthony Davis normally likes to go as a four. It's, you know, right. he 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 identifies as a four, right? Uh, who you know, Giannis? I don't know what he identifies as, but some would wouldn't just say a player, just that a he's, winner. A, he's a five, right? No one would say he's a, no. The average NBA fan doesn't think of Giannis as a center. When we sh- and we'll have the discussion of why you should have that. So if you just think about the traditional bigs, you picked an RNBA.com draft of bigs. We all had an opportunity to pick bigs uh, based off the draft list. Gil had the number one overall selection. The pool was Carl Anthony Towns, uh, Jokic, Embiid, and Gobert. He went with cat number one. Why? Well, first of all, it's a lot of pressure. We know, and there's no, there's no wrong answer. No, no er, wrong every, answer. Every, everybody's going to scrutinize it a little well, bit. Why he didn't do this? Why he didn't do that? But Cat, um, first of all, the, the the eye test was big. I saw him in the second or third game of the season. Uh, he went for like thirty seven and, and some. This is just a crazy stat line for him. And I was I was really pretty impressed. Granted, it it was against the Hornets who were without Cody Zeller, but um, still really impressed just with everything he brings to the game uh, and then you kind of look at his numbers this this season he's he's averaging 26 just under 12 rebounds four and a half assists and uh, one and a half blocks per game and something that kind of caught me off guard is that he's missed two games this year uh, obviously had the, the the incident that got him suspended for two games and despite that 
There's only five players in the league that have made more threes than him and only four players in the league with more double-doubles. So he's, he's kind of making his, his presence felt in so many different ways. He's doing so many things, and he's just 24 years old. He's the youngest of the four guys that we talked about, granted by a few months with Jokic. But it just leads me to believe that he's really um, – like a, and a, a kind of an outlier for what the prototypical big man is kind of growing into. Like we probably won't see anything like him again. Like a guy who's shooting like that and playing like that and doing everything he does. So, Just, so why is Carl Anthony Towns considered a center then? And Giannis isn't because I was not allowed to take Giannis. But he in plays this the draft of ours. I was plays, not allowed to take him. He plays the position though. Shoots eight and a half threes a game. He does. He does. His average shot distance is fifteen <laughs> feet from the bucket. That's six feet out farther but than. But there Giannis. is no one on the team that's a seven footer. Other than him. So it's just because of other guys? That's the only reason. That's the only reason. All right. Yeah, that's the that's simply the only reason. Right, and you, by the you way, drafted second. Who'd I you, did draft second. You take? But before I did, I just want to let people know that the incident that Gil's talking about where he got suspended was uh, a fight between the guy who I picked and, <laughs> and, and the guy who he picked. It wasn't because of Lizzo as halftime extravaganza <laughs> uh, in the, uh, the last game they of. played courtside. Uh Towns Towns would have been a nice selection at second. I think you have to go with Joel Embiid. And I said this in the piece as well. I know that there is flaws with this guy, but his ceiling is just so much higher than the other three players on both ends of the floor. I think Embiid can dominate offensively as well as Towns can. I think he could dominate defensively as well as Gobert can. And I just think that he, he commands so much attention when he's on. That these other guys just don't have that ne- next level that they could get to. I, th- I love Jokic. You could run the offense through Jokic. He's, he's he's a he's a point guard. He, he really is a point center. You can't do that with with Embiid. But can you trust Jokic in the last five minutes of a game to make sure that his man doesn't score? Probably not. You can do that with Embiid, and then you could also dump it into him and go ahead and say, you know what, go ahead and get your bucket. I just think that if I was building a championship team out of the four centers that were available to me. And Bede will probably give me the best chance when he's right. Does, I get that he's not always right, but when he's right, he's he's far better better than the other guys. Does the consistent does the inconsistency with Embiid uh, give you any pause for concern? Because That's the, the only the reason why there's a debate. The turnovers are terrible. Yeah, uh, he's so careless. many so many of the threes are early in the shot clock. They're ill-advised shots. He, I mean, he he goes through these long stretches where he completely disappears. Now, mm-hmm. yeah, granted, he can completely take over. Uh, like really anyone like there's nobody nobody's a plus game is as good as Embiid's a plus game among these centers right but i would also argue that he probably brings his c plus game a whole hell of a lot more than any of these other guys (laughs) do uh well Jokic, you can make an argument for um and then if you want to bring it c plus towns may not bring his c plus game but he has C plus defense. That's fair, and that's his. That's probably his top line defense. And then on the other side, Gobert probably has B minus offense, and that's his top ceiling. So, so to me, the ceiling here is the reason why I went with Embiid, and I would have went with Embiid for the record. I would have went with Embiid first as well. But I get that there is faults, and I get why you would choose someone else. So you say B minus offense from Gobert? Does that mean like? Getting held scoreless? Uh, I don't know because uh, I've never, really, never, never really seen. goes over eleven the, the game. Huh? See, that's the that's the downside of having an Embiid. He's going to get gastro. That's just he just <laughs> the man has weak bowels. I don't know what to say. <laughs> You're going to sit here and talk all season long about the shortcomings of my guy Eric Bledsoe, and then all of a sudden Joel gets this. Giant pass for passing something. I don't even yeah, know yeah, what. Yeah. He, he was he was passing Come a on. ton of gas, and that game, that entire game was a big gastro problem. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll talk it up to that. Yeah. And by the way, I'm looking at the the uh, the play by play stats, which you can find on Basketball Reference, just to see where Giannis plays the more, majority of his minutes. Yeah, it's probably small forward. Twenty three percent at center. That's fine. He's still a center. Less than last year. Okay. I don't care. Seventy-eight percent of the time, he's a power forward. Okay, here's All what's right. going to happen. All right. Right. Here's, here's, here's here's what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm not going to take him now because you guys you guys aren't letting me. You made the rules. So I'll, I'll stick within hey. your narrow-mindedness and stay inside <laughs> the box. I'm doing what I'm, you guys, I'm doing with the numbers. You guys are me. the New York Knicks of podcasters. You're sitting here living in the 90s. Wake up and smell the coffee, boys. Let's go. Um you know, more on Giannis at the five in a minute, because yeah. I do think that there is an interesting conversation, which you hinted at 
a couple minutes ago, but we'll get there in a okay. minute. Okay. Um, That's you know, a tease, folks. If you're if you're making me then choose between Jokic and Gobert, I I they are so drastically different. It's it's like it's not even like apples and oranges. Right. I mean, it's like I don't know what's apples and pasta. Like yeah. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm gonna go Jokic though. Okay. Um, because I do think that. Look, Gobert's defensively is on a completely other level. Um, but I do, I do think that what we saw from Jokic in last year's postseason, I mean, the guy put up a 25-13-8. Yeah, I know he has not gotten off to a great start this season, and he's still working himself into shape. But that right there, I mean, that had the look of that was getting you Joel Embiid's 25-13, and 13, but then also playing the role of Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. Like, uh and I, I actually think that he's, look, he's never going to be Rudy Gobert. But I also think that the whole Jokic doesn't play any defense thing might be the most overstated wrong narrative. It, he's he's big, an average defender. And yeah. by the way, Denver has a top three defense in the entire league. And they were first for a little while until mm-hmm. to Milwaukee. And they were no worse with Jokic on the floor versus on. So, look, I get it. Push comes to shove. Are you comfortable with Jokic in a, in a big possession Maybe not, but I, I do think that it's a lot. It's it's very overstated uh, how limited he is. He's, a, he's the big man Harden. He's become the big man's Harden <laughs> in terms of Probably, when you, yeah. you know, killing him for defense. I agree with you. I, I before before we met, I was a uh, 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 Jokic. I'll say a Jokic hater. I guess I was a Jokic hater, and I've slowly come around. I'm slowly appreciating his game for what he is. I think I'm not going to go out and say he's the best passing big man of all time but he's up there and secondly I, I do agree with you i think that playoff run last year was incredible it opened my eyes it showed me that he can be the go-to guy on a championship team i just don't think he has Embiid's level of ceiling that's all yeah no uh, i think kind of back to the defensive argument I, we, we've talked about it before with the lakers with their older guys and they're just savvy i think that for a player that's at this stage in his career he's so smart as a player i think that He's able to use his savvy and his smarts to kind of, I guess, make up for his uh, physical and athletic limitations as a defender. <laughs> and I think that that's just kind of, kind of a mental effort thing. And it might look like it's not 100% maximum physical effort, but it's just what he's limited from doing. And I think he deserves credit for that as a defender. I think we know that he's never going to be an elite defender, but we talk about it. Like you just said, they still have a top defense in the league in spite of having such a quote-unquote awful defender uh, anchoring them. Poor Rudy Gobert. He's uh, he's last again. Uh, you can read Kyle Irving's take on why he had to s- be stuck with Rudy Gobert, for lack of a better term, on NBA.com. Let's move quickly and just talk about the New York Knicks here. They fired their head coach last week after he conducted practice. They let him go through that and then said, you know what? <laughs> We're going to move on from you, sir. Uh, so now they're in search of a new head coach. Dave Fizdale had the worst record of any Nick coach or winning percentage of any Nick coach of all time. So obviously they're not, the bar is not very high for the next coach to come in and over overtake it. But who wants this job? This is a very mismatched team. There's a lot of young guys. There's old veterans who are getting paid for the next two seasons. And then you have a potential lame duck president and GM that are going to be hiring you who may not be there by the time you get your feet under you and, and figure out what you have in this roster. And then there's always a dark cloud that is James Dolan. You could say what you want about him, but who would you like to see the Knicks hire? Cause I have an idea of who I do not want to see the Knicks hire. So I, I think that they're, you know, before, before we get to what they're going to do six months from now, I actually think that they're doing the right thing right now with going with Mike Miller, uh, lots of G league experience. He's a guy that spends a, ton of time developing young players that's exactly what the Knicks need to to worry about doing so in the interim you know you don't want to make a commitment towards a long-term coach right now with the front office making that decision and then what do you do with that coach if if you then change directions in the front office then later off season so I do think that th- this is the right band-aid for now before we talk about who they're going to hire as a coach, we got to figure out who they're going to, what they're going to do in the front office. Yeah, that's first, right? Because to me, that's the single most important. It doesn't matter who's on the bench. Like they had Mike D'Antoni on the bench in New York, and it didn't matter. They've had good coaches. David Fisdale is a good coach. They have had good coaches, and it has not mattered. Now, 
if they ultimately decide to stay the course, I would hope that they would come out and say, Mills, Mills and Perry are going nowhere. These are our guys. We're moving forward as a franchise. Let, let's have there be no sort of cloud hanging over. What are they going to do? What are they not going to do? Because then this just this whole, you know, we want to get Maasai, which is what they should go do. It then starts turning into you're going to just now start dangling executives in front of your fans like you do with Giannis or LeBron mm-hmm. or Durant or Kyrie. We we got to stop the dangling part of it. Well, we just saw that with Phil Jackson before Phil Jackson got like they big they begged yeah. Phil Jackson a couple times and he. He, they finally gave him the bag, and he was just like, all right, "Fine, if you're gonna pay me all that, I'm, I, I Phil, might as well give this thing a right, try." So they did. They they paid Phil the bag. He got sixty million over five years. Yeah. What's What's the price tag you think uh, it will take to get a Masai Ujiri, or if not Masai, then Sam Presti or Bob Myers? Because that those are the kind of guys that they need to be going. I to think get. you. I think you write a blank check. It, it's New York. It's almost we're closing in on 25 years and of just being inept it's you haven't been able to draft and retain your stars and when you look into drafting a star before he gets his second contract he's so fed up with what's happening with the team that he decides to ask for a trade your second round picks never hit your free agents don't even want to come and visit you have to write a blank check i i would i would be shocked I would be shocked that you mentioned those three guys. Go ahead and pay them $80 million. Whatever it's going to take. Just get them there and figure it out later. At this point, it's just hard to even envision or, or imagine what it looks like of it things going well up there. And, and, and like that, like as, as bad and as dreary as that sounds, like we name all these people and it's just like, where do they even begin? Like, what, what do they start with? Like, they do have some interesting pieces up there and they have some things going on there, but it's just like, what did you decide to keep? What did you decide to move on? And, and how do you do it? You look at kind of the history of, of what a Ujiri and what, what Myers and those guys have done. I think they had even more help from up top as well with kind of facilitating the things that they did. Mm-hmm. And just the state of the New York Knicks franchise as a whole it just is so deeply rooted. I don't even know if, if it's if it's the job for them to fix. I think it's you, you can't blow it up because again, like you said, we're we're approaching, you know, two to three decades of them just being, you know, bad. Yeah. And it's just not good for the game. But like embarrassingly for, bad. Embarrassingly embarrassingly bad. And like just when you think that they figured it out, it just goes left, completely left. So I, I just I have a hard time imagining any of those guys really being like I think it's just gonna take way more than just one man to, to reverse their fortunes i like what you said about the trust up top because masai ujiri gets all the credit in the world for the moves that he's done but the raptor organization gave him a ton of power when he got there he wasn't the president you know they they upgraded him to president status and then basically said carte blanche you hire who you want to hire bring in the scouts you want to bring in make the moves you want to make not every team and not every owner is going to be that open and we know that in new york it's not going to be open i'm going to say this quickly but i'm not going to spend too much time on this whatever you do in new york don't hire tom tib though <laughs> <laughs> he is not the answer here he's you have a young team you have a lot of young pieces this guy is notorious for killing young guys and running them into the ground. This is not a team that is going to be a good defensive team right off the gate. This is not a this is not a franchise where Tom Thibodeau is going to come in and fix in a market like New York. He's going to be frustrated after games. He's going to be frustrated after losses. He's not the PR coach that you need him to be. Don't hire this guy. I know he's a big sexy name. I know he has New York ties. Uh, I I know that you know he he brings that old school mentality that New Yorkers love. This isn't it. So so Tom so let's say Thibodeau isn't it, and let's say let's say they do give the Godfather offer. They go and they get one of those three guys. They say here's six years, one hundred twenty five million dollars to run our something so outlandish that. Uh, all the reservations about ownership uh, go out the window that their other teams say, thanks, but no thanks, we're good. Who do you want to be the coach then? <laughs> Give me a name. That, th- th- this is tough, though, because it's not – There's this is the first time in so long that a, a quality job – and when I say quality, I mean like a, a prestigious job in New York. As bad as they've been, they're still prestigious. And there's not like a young – 
coach in the waiting that you're just waiting for. I want them to think outside the box with this selection. I don't want to see Mark Jackson. I don't want to see Jeff Van Gundy. I don't want to see Tom Thibodeau. And I definitely don't want to see Patrick Ewing. Patrick Ewing is struggling down in Georgetown. Don't you dare offer him an opportunity to coach this team as his first that, head coaching job in the NBA. That would be right out of the Knicks playbook. That, that, and right? that's that's where I'm afraid that they're going to go to. The problem is with New York is that they're just doing the same thing over and over and over again. They're not trying something different. David Fisdale was brought in because he had the New Yorker mentality. The New Yorker mentality is done now. I got I got three names for you because I agree. They shouldn't go the retread route. Right? That's just It's, it's not going to work. It's going to be more of the same. And if you get a GM like the aforementioned power trio, right? Like you would think that they would know, okay, this is a three, four, five, six year plan Mm -hmm. towards getting back to relevance. Three names that I had circled. Sam Cassell, been in the league a long time, respected voice, players love him. He's learning under Doc Rivers. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, He's not afraid of any situation. Absolutely. He's seen anything in the league. Ime Udoka down in San Antonio, right? Six years, I believe, of experience under Popovich. He's young. Uh, again, one of the most well-respected uh, assistants in the league. And and this one's a little bit more off the beaten path. No head coaching experience, but Adrian Griffin. Okay. Adrian Griffin has been with Milwaukee, Chicago, Orlando, Orlando, Oklahoma City, and now Toronto as an assistant coach. He has been named in the annual GM survey one of the top assistant coaches in each of the last six seasons. Wow. He's received votes. Players love him. He's interviewed for a bunch of jobs before, has not gotten one. Uh, Those are three names that I would like because I I do, I think the Knicks need somebody younger. They need somebody energetic. They need somebody that understands the city. They need somebody that understands in 2019, right? We just heard Kevin Durant last month say like, players don't like, Players are not enamored mm-hmm. with the state of the state of New York basketball is is just a myth at this yeah. point. But that's Cur- why the current crop of players do not think that. Yeah. And it's cur- the current generation of basketball fans don't. That's why I don't think that they need everyone always says like they need someone that has an idea of what New York basketball is like. I don't think that they do because they just there is no more mystique. The mystique is our era. The mystique is gr- what we grew up watching is is the Knicks, Pat Riley, and Van Gundy when they were good. The Knicks have been so bad. It doesn't matter what head coach comes in there and, and, and assumes what New York used to be. That is so far gone than, from what they are now. They need to find like a Ryan Saunders who is just in, someone who doesn't have a big name. And that's the problem I think that New York's going to run into is that New Yorkers expect a big name. They expect a Chauncey Billups. They expect a, a Jason Kidd to come in and save the day. You're not going to get one of those guys. You need to go out and get. I wouldn't give me Shaka Smart. What happened to Shaka Smart's are you, stock? Are you going to be okay when Masai brings Nurse with them to New York? That he steals them from Toronto? Nick Nurse is a perfect example. No one knew who Nick Nurse was, you know, 18 months ago. Okay. They just knew yeah. him as a guy that was in the G League and was sitting on the Raptor bench. They had no idea he would take the Raptors to the heights that he took them to. So they need to do that. That's the move they need to make. Don't go and get the European great head coach. Don't bring back David Blatt. I know he has, he's having health problems and may not be able to coach. You don't get uh, Ator Messina. Don't do that. Go out and, and, and actually try and scout guys who are doing it at the G League level. Who's winning at the G League level right now? It's not Jerry. Don't bring me Jerry Stackhouse either. Oh, Who's that, was, that, was, that, was, that was the name I was throwing out there. That was the name I was throwing out there. <laughs> All right, give me, give me the – what's the elevator pitch for Jerry Stackhouse? I'm, I'm, I think that he kind of checks the box. I think that his mentality as a coach and just who he is, who he was as a player, I don't think that outside noise is, is going to affect him. This is a guy who was a star player at one point, but also usually you don't see those star players make good coaches because a lot of the times um, they aren't really uh, receptive or understand what these players are doing. But you see he went to the G League, developed a team, led the Raptors 905 to a G League championship. Now he's coaching at the college level. He's mm-hmm. knows the league. I think that he's not going to really let outside noise block. And I think that he's the perfect coach as a young guy for a team of guys who are just trying to figure it out. I don't necessarily know if he's like the guy who's going to like, you know, coach him to be in a perennial playoff team, but I think he's like that perfect bridge to coach a younger team, develop a younger team and then kind of develop a, a mentality that lasts throughout the locker room of blocking outside noise. So Stackhouse to me is one of those guys that he obviously has an amazing pedigree, right? Mm-hmm. Like you say Jerry Stackhouse, people know people know exactly who you're talking about immediately. Now, 
do you think that's too big of a name and just in terms of name recognition like in the in the mold of he's not patrick ewing right. nobody's patrick ewing in new york right. right nobody's i mean he's not even mark jackson in new york right. but do you think that having a name like jerry stackhouse just gets in the way of doing the right things again or do you think that stackhouse uh because by by all accounts he runs a tight ship he's buttoned up uh, he knows the stuff. I, I mean, you've even heard sometimes he even ruff, ruffles feathers a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Stackhouse's name would preclude New York from uh, freeing themselves of this uh, mentality where we're the Knicks, we are glitz and glamour, we have to have the big name? Is Jerry Stackhouse too big of a name? I have a hard time thinking that because he's never like played with them or anything like that i don't think it's like he has a big name within the realm of the knicks i think he has a big name within the realm of the league which i think i think it might help them establish their relevance again with a guy who is from the outside understanding where they stand as a guy who competed against the knicks in their heyday or towards the end of it to know what knicks basketball should be you know early in his career he was going against those teams with you know larry johnson and uh, patrick ewing and, and those those teams so i think he understands what new york basketball is from an outsider's perspective and i think that who he is again like you talked about not afraid to ruffle some feathers maybe that's what they need a little bit of pushback but also understanding of what young guys need I mean he's coaching college ball right now he's coached the G League he was an assistant in Memphis last year so I think he's kind of seen it all in a short period of time and I for one was a little surprised that he ended up making the transition to coaching I didn't necessarily think you know usually see like point guards and players like that but the fact that he was able to do that is kind of encouraging for me that he would be able to kind of um go against the norm again of what's expected in New York and what usually comes from those those, those coaches in that in that position. The scariest thing for me for a New York Knicks fan is come before coming on here I did my try to do some research on, you know, and read a couple maybe five different who should the Knicks hire articles, the same names keep coming up. I I think the only one that I saw once maybe twice was Dave Yeager. Other than that it was Kenny Smith. It was, you know, the same names that just kept coming up over and over and over again. And if you're a Knicks fan, that should scare you. That should worry you because a lot of these guys are just tied to the Knicks in some way, shape, or form. They've, In the case of Jeff Van Gunn, he's already coached there. You know what you're getting with him. They need someone progressive. They don't need to go back to that grit and grime mentality. People don't play basketball like that anymore. They need someone to speed up the tempo. And they tried that with Mike D'Antoni. He just didn't have the pieces. To, to get it done. Melo missed so much time, he couldn't really get it done with him. And the team also wasn't good. Yeah. This team isn't good either, but you need someone that's going to come in there and, and be a, a flat-out numbers guy. They've never hired a flat-out numbers guy in, their, in the history of the team. Try that. Try that. Try the, going that way. Scott Rafferty would be so proud of you right now. <laughs> you, you have to try something new because, I, I mean, Jason Kidd's not going to get it done, you know, I, I mean, the nightmare would be Patrick Ewing. It well, really would. Ultimately, I completely agree with what you're saying. I think that, obviously, the, the whole question was guys who we know off the top of our head. But I do think that the ideal coach for them is somebody whose name we probably don't know. Mm-hmm. It's somebody who uh, is, is, you know, with, you know, we saw Memphis do Taylor Jenkins. And, and we saw, you know, Atlanta went to Lloyd Pierce, who was a little more of a, a known name because of his role on, on the bench. But I think it's, it's one of those young, up-and-coming guys, like you said, a numbers guy, analytics guy, who brings a fresh new approach, but also makes his focus and priority player development because of all the young talent that they have it's like oh man if he reaches his potential if, if he can become this or that then they can start thinking about what their team will look like in, in the future but right now you ask uh, somebody who's familiar with the Knicks roster you know if these guys develop into what they're going to be how does this team look and how does this team become a good team and I think they can't answer that question so I think that's the first question they need to look at themselves in the mirror and, and answer the second one should be actually the one B to that should be they got to be on page with the front office if Perry and, and Mills are still going to be there next season they can't have a situation that happened with Fizdale where a year and a half they're already they're already on odd, at odds of who should play and what you know how many minutes should this guy that it's not can't nineteen year old forty five yeah, minutes a game that, yeah that, yeah that that, <laughs> that can't happen all right let's uh, let's wrap it up here and, and get out of here with our uh, I guess a spotlight on something that people aren't really paying attention to in the NBA right now where probably most teams have already played twenty games or close to it so we're almost a quarter of a way through for most. Uh, teams, one thing that you have been paying attention to that you don't think anyone else is? I, I'm really watching Kevin Love. You you mentioned Love earlier as a guy uh, who in Cleveland suitors might be on the lookout for. 
it's not like people aren't talking about Kevin Love. They are. It's becoming a topical conversation. But I do think it's being undersold how big of a deal uh, a trade with Love could ultimately be. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Milwaukee earlier. I'm not sure that they you know, have, have the pieces. They, I don't know if they have enough to get him. But a team like Miami, um, I think he would be outstanding on Scott Rafferty. wrote a piece for NBA.com analyzing a bunch of different trade destinations for Love. I think that Miami in particular, I think Chris Paul has been the name that's sort of the popular one floated out. I think Kevin Love actually makes more sense. And I think that that's a move that if the Heat were able to find a way to do that, I'm not sure that right now we're talking about Miami as a team that can legitimately win the NBA title. If Miami trades for Kevin Love, they can win the NBA title. Mm. And I think that that is a scenario that's, Maybe not, maybe not likely, but it's plausible and it's realistic, and I just don't think it's it's receiving enough attention. Go ahead, go. Well, obviously, bad teams don't receive that much attention for a reason. Um, but th- this is something that kind of came across my attention when we were looking up the Carl Anthony Towns things, and I'm just going to say, Davis Bertans is having a, a breakout season, and and, <laughs> that's and, a deep and that's it's a it's a deep cut. <laughs> and the reason I came across that is just when I was looking at the stats and, and how many threes that Carl Anthony Towns has taken a game with well, a person that's taking more threes and that's shooting better than him Davis Bertans is taking eight and a half triples a game he's at, he's shooting at a 45.2% clip over his last five games he's averaging 22 a game taking 12 threes a game shooting just under 48% from three which I mean I don't care who you play for or whatever how bad a team is that's that's really impressive this is no a guy um, who's 27 years old we, we kind of knew his name in uh, San Antonio, we knew him as the other Latvian in the NBA, not named Christos Porzingis. But I, I think that just looking at what he's doing in Washington, uh, how he ended up in Washington with the whole thing with uh, Marcus Moore supposedly going to San Antonio and that falling through, which is another story. I, I think that you know it's some a name to keep an eye on. Maybe it's a, it's a contender that tries to make a play for him moving forward, or just he's a piece of their future as they get John Wall back and they try to build moving forward in Washington. I, I think that's a great call because two years ago. Uh, Philly got Ilya Silva and Marco Bellinelli. Changed and it. when they got him, nobody really batted much of an eye. And then all of a sudden, that team just took off. Mm-hmm. They had the best starting five in the league. They looked like they like they were a legitimate problem. Bertans is it fits the mold of that guy perfectly. I, I just talked about Kevin Love. Bertans uh could go and have an identical, maybe not identical, but a similar type impact, whether that's Milwaukee, Miami, one of the any any one of the powers in the West. Hey, it's a great call. If Philly never wins the championship with the core of Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid, we'll look back at them letting Ilya Silva and Bellinelli go that summer as one of the reasons why. Because I honestly believe that had they kept those two guys before the Jimmy Butler stuff and everything else, I think they'd be in a better position right now to win a championship than they were than they than they are uh, with with those guys on the roster. Uh, my spotlight, I want to shout out uh, my man Luke Walton. Luke Walton okay. has his team playing decent basketball, and he is taking hits with the injury bug. He started off 0-5. People were crushing them. They looked poor. Uh, you know, Coming into the season after uh, most had picked them to make the playoffs for the first time and how long and break that streak. And they haven't reeled off any big-time wins, winning streaks or anything like that. I think the, the biggest win streak they've had this season is two wins, maybe three um, but they came off two back-to-back wins on the road on a road trip where most expected them to come back from that road trip at 0-4. Started off in Portland. They lost a close one in uh, in San Antonio in OT, and then they go on the road, beat Dallas, who's playing good basketball, and beat the, uh, the, the Houston Rockets at the buzzer uh, on the road, and they're, they're missing Darren Fox is still out with injury. They don't have him back yet. Buddy Heal's playing good ball. Once they get healthy, they're going to be in a perfect situation to make a little bit of a run here because the Suns are coming back down to earth. When you look at that bottom half of that Western Conference, uh, the Thunder, they're just as good as the Thunder. Uh, Timberwolves are not you know, playing any good basketball at the time of recording right this right now. The Timberwolves are on a five-game losing streak. You know, Portland is still out of it. Uh, San Antonio Spurs probably don't look like this, the juggernaut that they have been for the last two decades. I like the San, uh, sorry, the Sacramento Kings um, to not only make the playoffs, but to two seven matchup with whoever finishes second seed. And I don't know if you really want to play them because you're going to it's not called Arco Arena anymore, but going to that place, Golden One, the Center. Golden One Center. 
could bring you back to those days with the cowbells yeah. in Arco Arena yeah. and how tough it is to win. We haven't seen Sacramento in the playoffs in quite some time. I, I, I think that that city is ready for it. I think they're, this team is going to be ready for it. They may get swept 4-0, but it's going to be a tough 4-0 to get them out of there. And I think Luke Walton deserves a little credit because people were crushing him five games into the season. Yeah, that was just going to be my next question, which you, which you answered already, and, and saying if you were a top seed, would you want to see them? And nah. you think about the fact that they're hovering around 500 without Fox and without uh, one of your guys, Marvin Bagley. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they, they've been without They're always without him. They, 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 <laughs> that, that fair, fair point. They've been without them, and, and you mentioned – uh, what the problems they can give, and I think back to in years past, just year in year out, they come ever so close to beating the the dominant Warriors teams. Obviously, they're not what they are, but that you look at Don't those sleep Warriors. On Eric Pascal, like I, that. I, I, like, rookie of the year, all rookie first team, Eric Pascal. But um, but yeah, but I look at those games and, and how they all kind of came down to the wire, and they were right close to getting over the hump. And, and you see them playing as a seven or eight seed playing. The Lakers are playing the Clippers and giving them just a tough time, and, and just being the way they play. I remember something Draymond Green said last year about them is this one of the fastest teams he's ever played against in basketball so I think that that could be something that gives especially teams like the Lakers who are a little bit older the Clippers who have guys who do injuries that can give them a tough time mm-hmm. Kings have had the third hardest schedule in the league so far seventh easiest moving forward so schedule well. set up for them right Both right well. to make a push I, I, and and every team has the injury bug at some point or another in the season we've seen the Raptors get hit with it we've seen the Kings get hit with it Lakers Clippers um, uh, Clippers are hitting themselves with it but Lakers Clippers <laughs> really haven't been hit with it every team Team has some sort of injury. Middleton missed time with the Bucks. They were able to kind of sweep that under the rug, and no one even talked about it. Every team misses has somebody key to their lineup missing injury throughout the throughout the season, and the Kings are, you know, they're on the better side of that now, and they're going to make a run here before All Star break. I think they're going to be in. I'm gonna call it right now. Before the All Star break, <laughs> I could see them right now sitting in the sixth seed at the All Star break. Our fish. I can see that right now because Utah, Utah's not Utah's not in a juggernaut. They, they're kind of playing around, but those top five teams are clear, far and away better than everybody else. You can see the Kings sneaking into the sixth seed. All right, that's it for us here, NBA Sound System. You've been listening to it. Reminder: you can follow all our work, NBA.com, and uh, we will see you towards the end of the week. Get you set for the weekend for Mike Adams, Gil McGregor. I'm Carlin Gate. We'll see you later on this week. Enjoy.